Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hey, friends, welcome back. Last week, I chatted with Jessica O'Connell from the Constipation Gurus for Kids. We talked about 14 foods that can help your kids go, including her recipe for, get this, poop chocolates. If you missed it, definitely go back and listen because she shared a lot of great information and advice. Also, if you're a new listener, make sure you head on over to my website, julierevelant.com, and sign up for my free five-day challenge to turn your picky eaters into little foodies. All right, so today we're talking about acid reflux. Maybe you have an infant who spits up a lot and seems miserable, or a toddler or a big kid who you think may have acid reflux. Either way, there's a lot you can do to figure out what's going on and help your child, like pulling out some foods and adding some in. That's why I always want families to remember, before you go pulling and reaching for supplements, the food is always going to help. That's Dr. Sheila Kilbane, a board-certified pediatrician who is also trained in integrative medicine and the best-selling author of Healthy Kids, Happy Moms. Dr. Kilbane was on the show in season four to talk about why some kids are always sick and what you can do about it, and I'm so excited to have her back on. In this episode, she shares everything you need to know about acid reflux, including the 11 foods that cause 90% of the issues and which foods you should focus on. She also lets us in on the best supplements she uses with her patients and when is the right time to start using them. There's a ton of information and helpful tips you can start using today. And I know you're going to love this interview with Dr. Sheila Kilbane. Dr. Kilbane, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Let's start off with your story and your journey to become a board-certified pediatrician, and you're also trained in integrative medicine. So what does your work look like today? Yes. Yeah, so I went shortly out of residency. I was in my general pediatric practice, right? I was so happy to be finished with training, and I had always wanted to be a physician. So it was, for me, I was just, it, it was exactly where I wanted to be. And then I quickly realized I was running from room to room and I was prescribing medications. I was prescribing antacids to two and three month old babies. And I was prescribing antibiotics often for recurrent ear infections and sinus infections and steroids for asthma and eczema. You know, steroids, we we prescribe them inhaled or topically or we, you know, squirt them in the nose. And what I realized is that those kids would get better over a two-week period of time, and then we would stop the medications, and then they'd be back in the office again two weeks later. So I, you got to know these kids with the common pediatric illnesses very well because they were in the office about once a month or every other month. And I just started asking myself this question, is what, is what I'm doing working? So I also started listening to moms and they would tell me they made a nutrition change and the symptoms were improving. And I didn't know what was happening. I didn't really understand that concept of systemic inflammation and how we can really make improvements in these common symptoms. 
So anyway, I started studying and reading much more about nutrition and supplements and things like that. And I eventually went on and did an integrative medicine fellowship um, to really learn more about this. But early on, what we would do is we were making these nutrition changes in the kids. And I started seeing these things melt away. You know, it was illnesses like reflux, recurrent ear and sinus infections, eczema, asthma, allergies, constipation, abdominal pain, chronic runny nose. And also, as we made these changes, I, we would notice, hmm, they're a little bit calmer. They maybe handle transitions better. They might be sleeping better. Hmm, they're focusing a little bit better. Their behavior is a little bit better. And it was also this full spectrum of things were improving. And I just kept following that path. And it's been, so I, I feel like I was able to give myself a much bigger toolbox of how to help these families. Yeah. And I read your book and you also have a really interesting story about your childhood, right? And medicine. I do. Yes. So as a kid, I'm the youngest of five. I'm originally from Ohio. And I used to get these high, high fevers once or twice a year. And I would be so sick. My mother would have to carry me to the bathroom because I was too weak to walk. And the doctor would give me a shot of penicillin. And, you know, if you've ever, ever had a shot of penicillin, right, it's like cement going into your thigh. And my mother just kept asking, why is she getting these? Why is she getting these? And, hey, you know, he just said, you know, he, he, I don't know. He just never gave her an answer, I guess. And so she took me to the Cleveland Clinic and I had some studies done. And I, in fact, had a low-grade kidney infection and I was getting something called pyelonephritis, which is a kidney infection when these were happening. And at that point in time, you know, I took an antibiotic for six months and I have never had issues since. So it was part of, you know how I think things subconsciously impact you? And it was my mother pushing and pushing and pushing to figure out what was the root cause of it. And you know, once she did that, then I didn't have these any longer. So it, it, that sparked something in me. And I, it's always about getting to the root cause of things that is very, very important. And no food on the planet was going to change that for me, right? I needed the antibiotic. And that's why I'm a very big advocate for integrative and functional medicine because it's the best of both conventional and, you know, the more natural and nutritional therapies. I don't think it's one without the other. I think it's always best when we blend them together. Yeah. What a beautiful story, really. When I read it, I mean, my heart <laughs> just oh. left because I feel it's so powerful, right? To see that, that that was an early childhood experience that then sparked this huge career for you. So let's talk about acid reflux and what exactly is the definition of acid reflux? Because before we hit record, we we're actually talking through some studies and, and talking about GERD <laughs> and acid reflux. And so what is it and what causes it? So what happens, and most people at some point in their life have experienced heartburn, right? You just feel a little discomfort in the upper part of your stomach. And what happens with reflux is the acid in the stomach, all these gastric juices, they reflux up from the stomach into, the, into our esophagus, and they can you know, come up toward the throat. And it 
it can eventually, if that continues to happen, it can start to damage the lining of the esophagus. But really, for the purposes of what we're talking about today, is we're going to talk about this in younger babies, in babies, you know, infants, younger children, where they're having this reflex. Everybody has fed a baby at some point in their life, right? Where you fed them and you go to burp them and half of the food comes back up. Right. And so that would be considered a, a reflux. And that happens, right? At least half of infants at some point in time experience reflux. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go on and cause issues or that you have to do something serious about it. It's the the kids that have this persistently every day over a period of time that that we're more so talking about about reflux, you know, in, in terms of do we need to actually do something about it? And so as they get older, can they grow out of it? Absolutely. And what happens with the anatomy of the stomach, we have a, there's a, something called a lower esophageal sphincter, right? A sphincter is a circular muscle. And that is what helps to hold food and acid into the stomach. And when that, when that sphincter is, is weakened or loose, then we're going to have those contents of the stomach and it's more, it's easier for them to reflex upward. And in babies and infants, that lower esophageal sphincter is not fully, it's not as strong as it will eventually be. So that's why it's so common in babies. And it's also why a lot of times kids will grow out of reflux. So for kids that are toddler age, elementary age, can they also have acid reflux? And what were, what are some causes of, of that? Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it is definitely less common as the kids get older, but in that 18, the toddler month age, those are usually going to be the kids that have had some type of symptoms with this when they were younger. And it may be one good example is if you had a baby who had a, a, maybe a milk protein sensitivity, maybe they had some blood in their stool as a baby, and maybe they had a little bit of colicky, you know, a little bit of reflux, and they family took dairy out of the baby's diet. If mom was breastfeeding, they took the dairy out of mom's diet, and if the baby was on a formula, they switched them to a non-dairy formula, and maybe all of the symptoms improved. And then at a year of age, which what we is this is what we do in pediatrics is we usually will say, okay, they're probably fine to be on dairy now. They've probably outgrown that that milk protein um, sensitivity or allergy. And so then maybe they start having dairy again. And in when they're, you know, maybe 14 months, 15 months, 16 months, they might start to develop some more symptoms and of of reflux and they might be a little bit uncomfortable they might be irritable parents might see the kids swallowing like they'll be eating a meal and then they're taking these big gulps to kind of swallow things down and that's where we say okay let's take a look at what's happening it's not always dairy that doesn't it doesn't always mean that it could be that the kids have some kind of other food sensitivity it's not a typical symptom for a food allergy, but it's, we, so we have to look at the whole picture of what are the kids eating and 
where how is the motility of their GI tract? Are, is food going through their stomach in the proper, right? Do we have the, the right acid? Is it actually moving through the stomach? There's something called delayed gastric emptying. And that will be a parent will come in and say, you know, my child, I give him something to eat and five hours later he'll throw up and it's what we had for lunch. You know, maybe they'll, he'll have thrown this up hours later. So there can be some motility type issues that we're looking at. And sometimes those are also kids who can be constipated. And if we're just, it's like the whole entire GI tract is just a little bit more sluggish. So it's about keeping things moving and having the, the food that is right for the child's system. And so if, if it's left untreated, can it lead to other problems? Yes. Um, there are, we can get ulcers. We can get, in adults, they can get something called Barrett's esophagus, which can go on and lead to cancer. That's not, I mean, in the pediatric population, that really is not the case. Um, there is also something called eosinophilic esophagitis, which is where the kids, it's almost like an allergy that they have in their esophagus. They have an, an increase in eosinophils in their esophagus. And those kids present very similarly to the kids with reflux. If the symptoms don't resolve with the initial treatments, we want to make sure that sometimes you have to go on and get an endoscopy to take a biopsy to see actually what is going on and what is the diagnosis. So if they, if a child is experiencing these symptoms and they see a regular pediatrician, would they take a different route to diagnosing it versus someone like you who takes the integrative approach? Yeah. So a lot of times in the, in conventional pediatrics, we might they might make a few, like they might make a formula change or, it, you know, it depends on the pediatrician and if they are, you know, have, have read some about nutrition, but a lot of pediatricians will go ahead and have the child go off of dairy and then see how that, what happens. So in the, in a, and then if that didn't work, they would often be put on an antacid medication. And if, if, if the child is still symptomatic, meaning they're still having reflux. They might be losing weight. They might not be sleeping at night. They may be extremely fussy. Then the pediatrician may send them on to get an endoscopy or to see a GI doctor. So in the integrative approach, I will do, we'll, we'll remove dairy and then we start a probiotic and then we start digestive enzymes. And then we usually will go on and we'll do some omega-3 fats Depending upon the child's age, we'll use something called phosphatidylcholine. So we're doing things, and then we'll use something, an aloe vera product. It's called bi-aloe that we use. We're using things that are going to heal, to be soothing to the GI tract. They're going to decrease the inflammation in the gut, and they're going to help support the child's body in breaking down the food so that they can digest and absorb it. Yeah. And you mentioned the antacid. And so is that effective? And then are there drawbacks to using it? Yeah. Most people know that, right, our stomach acid, it's very acidic. And we need that acid in order to activate our pancreatic enzymes. So when you eat food, the enzymes from the pancreas get released into the stomach. And then that, that acid is what activates them. 
So if we're putting in an antacid medication, it's going to buffer that acid. So we're not going to get as good a breakdown of the, of the food. And it can lead, oh, this is over the long term. We, we can have deficiencies. Our, our B12 is not going to get absorbed as well. Our proteins may not get absorbed as well. And proteins are what our bodies use to make our neurotransmitters, which help us think and do our math. And then our lipases are, are the, the enzymes that break down our fats. So our fats then go on to make hormones. So for a growing child, right, hormones are very important. And it's interesting because Deb Allen is the pharmacist, the integrative pharmacist who works with me. And when she and I started working together, so she is the mother of triplets and they're about to turn 18, but when they were preemie, so she started really looking at some of these, the supplements that we use today in our practice, and they're incredibly gentle supplements, and it's, we, we work with them over time. And that's what, as we gradually decrease that inflammation and support the digestion, that's where we see those improvements. But what Deb was seeing, so Deb was in the, you know, she's in a retail pharmacy and what she would see in the adult population is they would get put on a PPI, which means proton pump inhibitor. That's the strongest kind of an antacid medication, which are the number one over-the-counting selling medications. We spend $10 billion a year on these. And that buffers the acid. And then she would see that these adults would come back six months later with a prescription for either a sleep medication or a, an ADHD medication or maybe an anti-anxiety medication. And so if you look at that and if we go, okay, if they may not be absorbing their proteins effectively and efficiently, now we're starting to modify their neurotransmitters because, you know, like our yeah. dopamine, our serotonin. And so that, that's what, right, in the pediatric population, we just want to make sure that we're giving our kids the natural resources their bodies need to produce these things on their own. So I just, it was really interesting as Deb and I started working together and she told me her side of it, and we just were seeing this from different angles. Yeah, it's kind of it's scary. And, and so if you stop antacids abruptly, that can have detrimental effects as well, right? Yep, that's a great question because we see this all the time is that the kids will be put on an antacid or in the adult population, this happens quite often as well, is that you're on an antacid for a while and that signals the body. If you're blocking the acid, the body's going to secrete a hormone that says, make more acid, make more acid. So if we abruptly stop the antacid medication, we're going to get this whoosh of acid into our system. And the parents are going to think, or the adult who's done this, are going to think, oh my gosh, my symptoms are worse. I have to remain on this medication. Mm -hmm. So when we're weaning the medication, we do it very slowly. Usually we do it over about a month long period of time, depending upon how long the kids have been off of it. Great. So we're going to take a break and we're going to talk a little bit more about the protocol that you use and the natural remedies to help kids with acid reflux. Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. I know it's definitely helped my kids. 
So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy this year and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors during the winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. Delicious. This course is designed for kids of all ages, two to teen, and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. Okay, Dr. Kilbane. So let's talk more about those natural remedies for acid reflux. So Everything we do, we do it one at a time and we, we do it for about three to five days so that we know what is working. And with these kiddos, I treat supplements just like I treat medications and supplements can make things, you can react to them good or bad. So we first make the nutritional changes, you know, that we know need to be made. And for often for these kids, it will be removing dairy and then we'll talk later on down the line, if symptoms aren't improving, then we'll talk about gluten or corn or eggs, or if we need to remove something else. But predominantly for the purposes of the listeners is I would really focus on dairy. The next thing we do is in a probiotic. And the one that the Healthy Kids Happy Moms probiotic line that we, that we use in our office we use, a, it's called Planodophilus and it's a lactobacillus plantarum. So it's a soil-based probiotic and it's very gentle and it doubles when it hits the gut and it displaces along the GI tract, the not so beneficial bacteria. And in doing that, it's going to decrease inflammation. Again, it's going to support digestion and enhances the immune system and it's going to help us move you further along so that we're going to have better digestion and that better motility that we're looking for. The, the next thing that we do is we add in the digestive enzymes. And this is another point I like to make is we don't, we want to optimize digestion before we start putting a ton of supplements in. So that's always why we do it this way. Um, 
And so then we'll use the digestive enzymes. And the way that we use these is we use them, we do them at the start of breakfast and dinner. Or if it's an infant, you do it at the beginning of two or three feeds. And with the infants, we just have moms rub it on the baby's gums, or you can, if mom's breastfeeding, you can rub it on the on mom's nipple. And we do the same thing with the digestive enzymes. And we have the enzymes, they either are powdered or chewable or in a capsule. And then if mom is breastfeeding, we also have her take them. So those are the main things that we'll get started. And then there's something called bi-allo. And that is, again, it's a very, it's an immune modulator. It's very, think about aloe vera, how it is to the skin. It's similar to what it's going to do with the gut. And right there, those three and removing dairy are a really phenomenal way to get started on this path with reflux. And do you recommend other foods be taken out like gluten and sugar and artificial food dyes? Thank you. I, I sometimes <laughs> skip over all of that stuff because a lot of the families have removed a lot of the junk food before they come and see me. So in my book, I lay out what's called the mini cleanse for kids. So we want to decrease the, the processed sugar. We want to decrease the sugary drinks right? If they're drinking a lot of fruit juices, a lot of sport drinks, sodas, you want to eliminate those. You want kids to drink water and we want to decrease the processed fats. So if you're eating fast food a lot, we want maybe, you know, decrease that by one less time a week than what you're doing so that you're just making these small changes. And then you want to decrease the processed proteins that you're eating, right? So we want Fresh, if you're eating meat, we want to do much more fresh, do organic, or if you, you know, if there's a farmer's market near you or even a farmer, that's going to be better than the processed. You want to stay away from the processed deli meats and things like that, unless you can get an organic nitrate free one and artificial dyes and colors. So, and, and that is all, I lay that all out in my mini cleanse. And those are things to do that first before you even start down this path of dairy and adding supplements in. And then are there anti-inflammatory foods we should be focusing on and, and foods that are soothing to the gut? Yes, absolutely. So we always, there's the list that you always get. If you go to a pediatrician or an adult doctor's office, if you have reflux, they're going to say, cut out the acidic foods, things like tomatoes, chocolate, coffee. You know, kids aren't drinking lots of coffee, but those, you know, tomato sauces. And when the, the reality is those, yes, those can be a challenge, but if you're really looking at the food that's right for your system, most likely eventually you can add those things back in. So for the, we always want to eat foods high in omega-3 fats. So those are things like cold water fish, like salmon, mackerel, tuna, Chia seed, flax seed, hemp seed, blueberries have a little bit of omega-3 fats. So there's not a ton of foods with omega-3 fats. So that's why we want to be careful to get those in. And it's really important for brain development, for cellular, that helps to make up our cell walls. So those are, those are part of the foods. And then we want to make sure that we're doing fiber. And fiber comes in fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. And so seeds also being those Chia seed, flaxseed, hemp seed. I, I love those because we get fiber, we get fats, and we get a little bit of protein. Yeah, and some of those foods that you mentioned are tough to get into picky eaters' diets, right? The fish. Exactly. 
And so that's where if you can add chia, especially chia, I just love that because if you can add that in or if the kids, if you can make a pudding or if you can add it into a smoothie, if you have a really picky eater, you need a good, you know, a Vitamix or one of those blenders that really blends it up. But that's one way to at least, you know, be a nice adjunct into the diet, but you probably will need a fish oil supplement if they won't take those things or an omega-3 supplement. It doesn't always have to be fish oil. And then we really want to focus on just real food, right? Fruits, vegetables, proteins, and fats. And that's those. So other things, other fats that aren't omega-3 fats, but are important, coconut oil, olive oil, you know, the, the yolk of eggs have really good fat as long as the kids tolerate eggs. So those are the, you know, those are going to be the things that we want to eat. Um, but I also want to lay out the, the foods that can be problematic. So we've got 11 foods that cause 90% of our issues. And it doesn't mean that all of these foods are unhealthy or that you have to go off of all of them. It just means that if we have reflux or eczema or another issue or belly pain that is in part being triggered by food, it's possible that one or more of these are part of the issue. So it's dairy, wheat, soy, corn, eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, shellfish, sesame, and citrus. And that's like oranges, lemons, things like that. Those are, those are going to be the citrus. And so you just start, you take out everything or do you take out one at a time? How does it work? Yep. In the kids, we, and this is, I walk families through in my book is right. You take the junk food out first, then you take dairy. And the thing I start after dairy is gluten. But if you really are looking at, well, a lot of times parents will have a gut thought about, oh, every time, you know, Sally eats eggs, she gets a, a tummy ache. So if that's the situation, you just, you know, take eggs out for two to three weeks and see if you notice an improvement. But otherwise in kids, I only take one food group out at a time before taking the next one out because so that we know what they're reacting to. And then as soon as the symptoms improve, it, you know, if maybe the, you know, say you took dairy, gluten and eggs out and maybe the symptoms completely persisted until you took the eggs out. So then you might say, okay, let's put the gluten back in and see, you know, for a week and see how they do. And then let's put the dairy back in and see how they do. And maybe eggs are the only trigger. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? So that we really do it in a controlled way. Yeah. I'm actually going through this now with one of my daughters. We, she was, she has ADHD and some GI issues. And so we've taken dairy and gluten out. But then I think the struggle is you know, I'm looking at the dairy-free, the vegan cheese, and that's probably not so good. And then you've got gluten-free wraps and they add all this, right, right, right artificial ingredients in. And so it's like a catch-22. You either have to eliminate it or rely on those processed versions. It is, it's challenging. And we, we have a health coach in our office who really gets in there with the families because it's one thing, Right. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks seven days a week. And we try to get that. Can we get a plan for the seven days of the week? And that's why I always talk, and Julie, I know that you do this, is 
Let's plan our week of food the same way you plan a trip is know when you've got tight changes, know when you, you know what I mean? So that you can, you can live your life and, you know, do all of your activities and hopefully have the things that the kids will like. And it's, you don't want to, if you're pulling gluten, you, it's, you don't want to go to a bunch of junk processed gluten foods because that's, you know, we're going to be getting inflammation from other forms in that way. And so it's, there are a lot more ways to do it now, but what I encourage families to do is look, can we do more things like sweet potatoes and, uh, you know, plantains, baked kale, what are the things that are real foods that we can make or doing things, you know, if the kids do tolerate eggs, you can make paleo pancakes and maybe put little dark chocolates in and so that and make like a pancake and you can freeze those and then you can put pop that in the toaster because you've got to figure out, I, I think snacks are the hardest. And when you can get the snacks, usually because you have got more control over the meals and you know, if you can do, if you're the family eats meat, you can do a meat, a vegetable, and then maybe some kind of a starch. It's filling kids up, right? That mm-hmm. gets to be the challenge. Yeah. And probiotics and prebiotics, do you recommend those as well? Yes. Great question. The probiotics we absolutely use. And my goal with probiotics is we use them once the kids are back into balance. I like to pull the kids off of the probiotics for the summertime and then just use them in the winter for a sick season so that the goal isn't to have kids on a ton of supplements forever. Yes, there are some foundational supplements that they need, but I love to give kids the foods that contain prebiotics. It's foods like bananas and garlic and onions, and then any food that has fiber in it feeds the bacteria in the gut. And so that's why I always want families to remember before you go pulling and reaching for supplements, the food is always going to help. And and absolutely, I use supplements in my practice. And I, especially for reflux, supplements can be a really powerful tool. And we want to always be working on what are those healthy foods that are going to feed the good bacteria in the gut to support what we're doing with the supplements. And then once these kids kind of, we restore that equilibrium to their gut, then can they start introducing new foods, go back to the way they were eating? Probably not, but do they have to follow it forever? Another great question. So in my book, I lay out kind of the, like the inflammation roadmap and the food roadmap. So once, think about this gut healing in these foods like it's a sprained ankle, like you've got a sprained ankle in your gut. So we want to pull those foods out for a long enough period of time to get those cells along the GI tract to repair themselves. And they've got, they're like cemented. These cells kind of cement themselves with one another to, in order to get the best, the optimal digestion. So if you have, if you've got a sprained ankle and maybe you've, you've stopped playing basketball for a week, but then you say, well, I'm just going to play this one pickup game and you, you, you know, you kind of tweak your ankle again. You've just created 
another realm of inflammation. And it's the same thing with one of those foods. So if you can really buckle down and say, I know this stinks, but I've got to stay off my ankle for at least three to six months. And you keep those foods out, you really get that good solid healing. Then we're usually able to add the foods back in. And you'd always want to do it one at a time for at least a week before adding in the next one and watch the symptoms. But there's a, you can get a cumulative inflammation. So you've got to watch over time. And if you've been back on dairy, and I, we, normally we don't have the kids go back on dairy and gluten the way that they had been eating them before. It might be, maybe we do it a couple, two or three times a week. May, so for some kids, it may only be at birthday parties or special occasions that they will have them. But for, for you know, many of the kids, they can go back on it, but it's just not going to be two and three meals a day. And then you've got to watch over time because I've seen this with everything from reflux to headaches to eczema is that they'll be okay for two or three months, but then five, six months later, the symptoms start to creep back in. And so we just have to recognize that and decrease them again if needed. Amazing. Well, Dr. Kilbane, this has been just a great conversation. So much helpful information. Where can listeners go to learn more about you? Yep. It's SheilaKilbane.com. And we have, I have my book, which you can get anywhere books are sold. And if you go to my website, just SheilaKilbane.com forward slash book, you can get lots of our, the bonus material. And we have an online course, Seven Steps to Healthy Kids and Happy Moms. And we have the brick and mortar practice for families who need more intensive work and one-on-one help. And they can just give our office a call. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Julie. I always love chatting with Dr. Kilbane because she has that perfect mix of science and real life advice. Be sure to pick up a copy of her book, Healthy Kids, Happy Moms, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.